Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast, where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations, all based on a biblical worldview. We're going to start with a question. I'm going to show you a bunch of Bible stories by name. You'll recognize them. I'm going to show you a bunch of Bible stories by name. You'll recognize them. And I want you all to, in your mind, ask yourself, what is God doing in all of these stories? And I'm going to give you a couple of seconds to try to decipher that. What is God doing in all of these stories? Ready? So here is a bunch of Bible stories that we're familiar with. They're not obscure stories. And I want you to think of those stories and look at them from God's perspective, okay? Take a few seconds to look at these stories, or a few minutes, really, to look at these stories and look at them from God's perspective. What is God doing in each of them? Matter of fact, I'm gonna give you a literal minute. What is God doing in What do they all have in common? Now, in some of the stories, like this one, think of this individual as a representative of God, representing God. And I'm not gonna ask any of your own thought. You got 10 seconds. Well, see, he has a throne and a love of nature, but he's a loving God, but at the same time, he does punish. Well, yeah, I mean, that's part of it, but that's all of it. Ready? In each of these stories, he mentioned that God punished. But it's something before that that I want to emphasize. In each of these stories, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah and the flood, Tower of Bible, Sodom and Gomorrah, Joseph and his brothers, the wedding feast, the women at the well. We're not going to look at each single one of them. But what they all have in common is that before God delivers a judgment or punishment, he investigates the process throughout the whole time. Right? In Adam and Eve... He, did he not know that they ate of the fruit? Of course he did. Did he not know who led them to eat of the fruit? Of course he did. But despite that, he asked Adam and Eve, where are you? Have you eaten of the tree that I told you not to? With Cain and Abel, he asked them, where is thy brother? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Right? He he knew exactly every detail of this story, and yet, in Noah and the flood, he looked down and saw that it was evil continuing. In Sodom and Gomorrah, as a matter of fact, he comes down physically and investigates himself with the help of two angels. In the Tower of Babel, the same thing. Joseph and his brothers, Joseph standing as a representative of God, investigates the motives and the hearts of his brothers before he reveals himself and decides whether to punish or to save them by grace. The wedding feast, the same thing. The master of the wedding walks through the wedding feast and does what? He spots somebody without the robe of righteousness and kicks them out of the wedding. The woman at the well, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five. And the man you're with now is not your husband. Right? He talked to her before then. The woman caught in adultery. He writes on the ground 
for the individuals who are looking to condemn her. And then he tells her, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Ananias and Sapphira, Peter, in the place of God. Did you sell the property for such and so? Yes, we did. Boom, dead. His wife comes. Did you sell the property for such and such? Yes, we did. She loses her life. And then Jesus among the seven churches, in each of the seven churches, he first walks in their midst before he pronounces, he gives them a Rx, a prescription, and then he renders a judgment. Either two of them get nothing negative said about them, and the others do. <clears throat> all of this throughout Scripture, spanning the Old Testament all the way to the book of Revelation, the last book, give us a glimpse of the character of God. And that character is that before he ever renders judgment, he will investigate and let it play itself out until it is crystal clear that it is now time for him, for him to intervene. As Adventists, we know, we know this from a specific term which we do a bad job in explaining it. The specific term is what? The investigative judgment. And we spend all our time in Daniel chapter 7 trying to prove the investigative judgment, which is in there, from that chapter, instead of going through the rest of the Bible and just showing people that this is exactly what God has done all his entire existence. So every time I teach Daniel chapter 7, I open up with this. So now that we're in Daniel chapter 7, there is no doubt that this is normal to God. That this isn't something he made up. That this isn't something that Adventists have made up trying to impose it in Daniel chapter 7. This is how God operates. And we'll see for our purposes, this is not a Daniel chapter 7 lesson. But we'll see for our purposes tonight how it comes. Since I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took him. His vesture was like white and snow. His throne was ablaze with a river of fire was flowing for him. Thousands upon thousands were the court sat. I could have just chosen this. The reason I included all this is because you can tell that this is a formal event. There is a sense of not in the Miss USA form, but there's a sense of pageantry here where God is making sure everything is in order, making sure that what is about to take place when the Ancient of Days come, both the defendant and the plaintiff, both the jury are all paying homage and respect because the court sat and the books were open. Everything that is happening in the universe, both behind the scenes and in our world, will have its day in court, where every record will be laid bare, every motive will be evaluated, and in the end, God will be vindicated. And all the pain and the suffering that has been caused because an enemy has done this will be proven in court to the jury made up of angels, thousands upon thousands were attending him. When I was at the court for the last 
you know, for the 10 days I was there. Even though we were in front of the lawyers and the plaintiff and the defendant, we were the jury, the judge had a team of four to five people at her beck and call to do different things for her while the, while the trial was going place, taking place. Thousands upon thousands attending him. And a myriad upon myriad standing before him, celestial jury, making sure that what is taking place in this heavenly court goes according to proper decorum that keeps the character of God correct, meaning that God doesn't do anything that violates that, even though, but remember, the accusation is that he's immoral. The accusation is that he is not just. The accusation is that he's withholding things from you. And the accusation is that Lucifer can run the universe better than God can. And so it's not just God and Lucifer locked up in a room duking it out. There's a bunch of angels and humanity that is invested that the character of God be proven trustworthy and that he really is love. When I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speak, I kept looking unto the and the body was destroyed and given. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted for an appointed period of time. I want to emphasize a couple of things from this verse. One, we see here the enemy. Boastful words. And yesterday we talked about that the main attack is not a physical power versus power attack, but it was a, a, an attack of slandering the character of God who is love. That he's unjust, that he's a dictator, that he doesn't want the best for you. And here the accusations continue. Now this gives us a preview the fact that he will be destroyed. But the dominion which he holds was taken away. This is future. But an extension of life was granted to them for what? An extended period, an appointed period of time. That means that in this back dealing between the, in the regular courtroom that I was in, the back dealing between the judges, between the lawyers, the defendant and the plaintiff, of what they can show the jury takes place behind the scenes. Where here we see that no one knows the hour, but at, at a, there's an appointed period of time for this courtroom to place. In other words, this trial of us going through pain and suffering, this battle between good and evil has an appointed time. And we'll see more of that throughout tonight. And to him was given dominion. This is how it's going to end. Glory kingdom, that all the peoples and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is of everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Praise God that that's our future. But in order for him to receive dominion, that means that somebody else has it. You cannot receive or be given something you already possess. That means the enemy has it. And Adam and Eve gave it up when they sinned and they trusted Satan first. So we see here the courtroom scene taking place. And there are five key players in this courtroom drama in Daniel chapter 7.
And in those stories that we looked at, these five key players are either there directly, like in Genesis chapter 3, or they are alluded to in their stories. Because God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and before he pronounces judgment, he will always investigate. Not for his own, but to make sure that everybody knows that his government is above board. What's the word they use in politics? Um, open, transparent. Thank you. That's what it was. I saw your lips moving and I caught the word. Transparent, right? So we have the Ancient of Days, God the Father, judge. But the Father is not the executing judge, the one who will render the verdict. He is the presiding judge, the one that makes sure that decorum remains in this courtroom. Because Jesus himself in the gospel tells us, the Father has given me all judgment. We have the celestial observers, the jury, the angelic hosts, the myriads upon myriads, and thousands of thousands who have a vested interest because even though the angels that did not fall remained loyal to God, they still have a vested interest to make sure that Satan's accusations are answered to 100% satisfaction for all of us. You have the protagonist, the son of man, the one who approaches the ancients of days, Jesus. You have the antagonist, Satan, boasting boastful words and attacking the saints of the Most High as found in Daniel 7. And then you have the defendants, the accused, the saints, we're there. Remember, God cannot lie. So who's missing from here? The wicked. Why? Because God's not going to dispute over somebody who has not cho chosen him as their leader. So while they're, let's say, he say, he has chosen me, he hasn't. God's not going to claim them because they haven't chosen God. But on the other hand, those who have claimed God, the accuser of the brethren is going to be like, no, I want him. And here's why. And God has to say, no, no. Here's the record. They have been covered by the blood of my son, Jesus. But the enemy is going to be accusing that. And we'll see Bible examples of that. So here we have the celestial courtroom. And there are rules of engagement in this courtroom. And we'll see more of that, more examples of different rules of engagement in scripture. Here's more insight into that. He will speak against the most high and wear down the saints of the most. Ten, well, before we keep suffering and pain. <laughs> I mention this only because my wife has been feeling like a single mother these last two weeks because you know, it was 12 hour days for 10 days at the jury, uninterrupted, like I couldn't be interrupted. I had to be in the room alone, nobody could be there. And so today we were laughing, cause not serious, but nothing can wear you down like three little kids screaming. Especially now my one year old, she's walking everywhere. And now she's grabbing, washing her hands in the toilets. <laughs> and, and now we gotta control things we haven't been able to control <clears throat> before. And so the suffering and the pain that he causes is nothing more than to wear you down to where you finally say to God, it is not worth it, and you give in to sin. So part of the pain and suffering 
that we go through, the enemy uses it to try to wear down the saints. He will attend to make alterations in times and law, but the court will sit for judgment. Praise God for that. But there are some facts here we don't normally look at. He has a dominion. He still has, even though he defeated at the cross, he still has certain rights here. It's for time and time half a time. And he will try to make alterations in the law of God. Not just the Ten Commandments, but in how the court proceeds. And we'll see examples of that. And so this is happening behind the scene. All the time, Satan is accused. Jesus as our lawyer is interested but nevertheless that intercession and accusation is not something just happens once it's constantly happening every time a sinner converts to Christ or anytime we repent of our sins that transaction that that accusation is you know he's bringing it up now here's some more insight to behind the scenes right here's the most famous <laughs> one that we know as Advent now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before them. And my, 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 up and Satan. You know, we preach on Job when we tend to pass this by real quick without giving it further thought. But the sons of God are there. They're part of the rules of engagement. They're not there, and we'll see. They're not there just to rubber stamp everything that God does they trust God they haven't succumbed to sin but they have taken the the accusation seriously and they are there to make sure in a sense that everything is above board Satan also came to them the Lord said to them from where do you come then said from roaming about on the earth why can he do that it's his dominion it was abdicated to him by our parents Adam and Eve and we know the story, right? They go back into an exchange. And sometimes I laugh at it from a, from a Bronx ghetto boy standpoint because <clears throat> why does God have to point Job out? He says, have you seen my servant Job? Righteous and blameless, fearing God. And Job says, I mean, Satan says, of course. You give him everything. You, you hook him up. You give him everything he needs. He, of course he's going to. You're biasing the witness. And God says, but, or Satan's accusation is, but put forth your hand now and touch all that he had, and he will surely curse you to your... Of course, you're giving him everything he wants, but if you take it away, then he will curse you to your face. And what's mind-boggling is that not only does God put the spotlight on Job, not only then Job accuses the character of God, right? Because if a politician is getting voted in all the time, but then you realize he's been bribing the voters, that is not moral. And that's what Satan is accusing God of. You're bribing Job. No wonder he's going to worship you. But stop bribing him. Stop Stop. Uh, biasing the jury and he will turn his back on you and so this is happening and this is the part that makes me chuckle God gives him permission God gives him permission he said Nate oh no I did God gives him permission we know the story 
here's Job's response. He said, naked I came from my womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he. Think about it. Job had such a deep relationship of trust with God that despite all the pain and suffering, I can't imagine losing one child, let alone all the children he lost, and all his income, and all his possessions. And yet Job understood. Now something else that I've been trying to pin down more, but that I see as a reparative pattern, is that now looking at it from this rule of engagement, is that in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, there is this notion in Jewish thought that God is credited with that which he allows. And in the end, right, he allows it. So that's why here the Bible writer says, Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Because in the end, everything falls at his feet. He is not the author of evil. He never was, never will be. But because he is love and freedom is in love, evil is possible. And as if one time wasn't enough, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present. And Satan, Moses on in, came also among them to present himself before the Lord. That word, by the way, present, right, gives us that meaning that this is not just, hey, let's come out, hang out in the living room. This is a heavenly board meeting or a heavenly report. They come systematically. And here, Satan can come himself. Why? Because he has dominion over this earth. And once again, they go through this negotiation. Have you seen Job? He still hasn't cursed me because he is righteous and blameless. And Satan says, yeah, of course. Skin for skin, right? Touch him. Let me touch him. And once again, throughout all the pain and the suffering, Satan could do nothing to Job unless God allowed permission. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. God still remains all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving. The fact that his power, in a sense, has been limited does not limit his actual power, but for the greater good of the universe and of, and of us and everybody paying attention to whether he's a tyrant or not, he is allowing Satan to carry out his form of government so that, in essence, Satan can hang himself when everybody realizes that his ways are wrong and that God has always been always been righteous and has always had your best intentions at heart. Satan's accusations and his rules of engagement do not limit God at all. But in his wisdom, he has to take a step back because his character and his motives are being questioned. And he's letting this battle play out. But there's more here. Look what is said in Daniel chapter 4, verse 7, that gives us glimpse into these people who come to present themselves to God on a systematic, regular basis, which 
we know allows then Satan to come because he has dominion and as the representative of this earth at that time he can come to these however often board meetings or councils that they have this is when Nebuchadnezzar gets judged in Daniel chapter 4 right and look at what it says this decision is by the decree of the who? Watchers. Those who are watching that the court stays above board, that it's not a kangaroo court. Those who are making sure that God is who he is, right? Truth never is afraid of what? Scrutiny. Truth is never afraid of being examined. And that's what's happening here. So this decree is upon Nebuchadnezzar is a decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones low capital H so it's not talking about God in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men gives it to whoever he will and sets over the low so this decree proving that in the end God is in control and here we see in a sense a limit to Satan's dominion because God still has some jurisdiction here but this decree was not necessarily God and God alone and look what the I've been keeping it to the Bible but I brought in the, the, the Adventist commentary on this verse to show this this is verse 17 watchers the plural presupposes the existence of a heavenly or assembly and they point back to what Job but there are other examples that could so God even though he has the final say even though he has the final authority he's not rendering these judgments against his accusation against his moral character on his own there is a consensus that God's judgments are right and so everything remains above board and so when Lucifer accuses God of something the heavenly council says no objection overruled you're out of line. And so let's look at some of these other examples. Where I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as for we have been made to the world both things. If you ever saw the movie, The Truman Show, never saw it, but I know the premise. Well, he was living in a studio and he didn't know. His whole life was being, where in a sense, your life, your witness is testifying whether God is just for the enemies and we are a spectacle to the world both the aim we're being watched we're not just a witness to witness to each other we're a witness to the universe that God is just that God is right that despite how dark and painful the suffering may be God can be <coughs> trusted through it all then he showed me Joshua here's more of this courtroom backroom dealing that we never necessarily paid attention into the rules of engagement motif then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to here we are in another court setting the Lord said to Satan now I'm going to change it to modern-day court objection to your accusations that's basically what he's saying when he says the Lord rebuke you Satan indeed the Lord has chosen who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you is this not a brand Joshua had dedicated his life to God and the celestial court saw that yet he still wanted to make accusations and the Lord said nope it's already been decided 
no more part. We see it again. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, rejecting authority and speak of evil of dignitaries. This is talking about humans, but you can see the same attitude inspired by Satan, talking bad about the heavenly dignity. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against them a reviving accusation. The Lord rebuked them. <coughs> Moses chose God, settled in the heavenly council. No more accusations from you. Objection overruled. You and I will be part of this judgment. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Yeah. If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to come? Do you not know that we will how much more the matter? You, me, having gone through all the pain and suffering, having known what evil is, we will be entrusted with judging angels. But we won't make those decisions just like me in this earthly jury didn't make the decisions parameters were given to me to vote yes or no based on what was agreed upon and so when we get to those thousand years here's the evidence they were judged guilty is that true or not because God is perfect will be but we will see all the evidence here we see it in revelation as well then I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them this is taking place during the millennium once again, courtroom setting throughout all of scripture that, it, that, that gives us the parameters of the battle between good and evil. It's taking place in court. Further on in the book of Revelation, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great, the small standing before them and the books were opened. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the thing. The court is taking excellent records because everything and everything will be above board. And no one will doubt in the end that God. So that's the court session that we see in the background. But there are other uh, verses that talk about the rules of engagement of how God deals with human. We saw that in the Job. Look at this. Because the ruler of this world is judged. When God created this earth, he had Adam and Eve dominion over the whole world. Subdue it. And Satan, as I mentioned a couple of nights ago, was stuck in a little area. The knowledge of evil and good. Why? Because freedom, Adam and Eve needed to freely choose God. And they had everything in working for them. They had God on their side. They had everything in perfection. When they sinned, it flipped. Now God has to recreate the kingdom of God from a small portion, from, from nothing, basically. He says, when the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the Lord's port. And look what he says about his people. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor chose you because you were more in number than any of the people. For you are the fewest of all the people. Now, I can't prove this in scripture, but just from this and from the rules of engagement, you see Satan was like, no, this is my dominion. And I, I have to give you a little embassy here on earth in my dominion. But I'm going to, let me see. Yeah, those people, the worst of the worst, yeah, do something with them. God says, okay. 
for my strength is made perfect. I will show that the principles of my kingdom, when followed, can make the smallest of the smallest flourish for the glory and honor of God. We see that in the parable of the mustard seed. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seed. But when it is fully grown, it is larger than the garden plants. It comes a tree so that the birds of the air come and from nothing to glory. We see it in choosing Israel. They were the least of the least. We see it in the parable of the mustard seed. We see it in the death of Jesus Christ that looks like defeat. We see it in the rock that destroys the statue in Daniel chapter 2 that becomes a kingdom that will not be destroyed. God takes the worst of the worst, you and I, and we become the ultimate witnesses that God can be trusted and that God is loved. And the devil said to him, all this authority I give you and that glory this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, all will be yours. Not only is he impinging on the character of God, now we know more of what he wants. He wants to be worshipped as God. But something in this temptation shows us in the rules of engagement that he can't continually hound you or me. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Now when the devil had ended every temptation he departed from him unto what an opportune time in other words okay enough for now you need to come back and that's why we at times enjoy relatively peace for a season god is merciful he doesn't let it be bombardment even with job eventually he got it all back and suddenly they cried out saying what have we to do with you Jesus of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, two points I want to make here. One is, what do they think of the character of God that they think he's coming to torment them? Such decisive was the lies of Satan that they believe that God is a tormenting dictator. But the second point is, they know something about the rules of engagement that it is before what? The time for the judgment to take place. In other words, they know enough that, wait a minute, you, you're, you're too early here. But obviously, that's not what he came for. Now, he relieved the demoniac, but he didn't destroy them. Part of the rules of engagement. Therefore, rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell on them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath. What is 6,000, 7,000 years in light of eternity? What is 6,000 years for a being who has lived who knows how long? He knows he's messed up. And so in the rules of engagement, there's a time frame for this that our Heavenly Father knows. Now, here are some restrictions on God's power in the arrangement of this court. Now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hand on a few to heal them. Why? Because the choices of the people there prevented him from doing mighty works because God will not violate your free. You don't think he wanted to heal everybody? You didn't think he wanted to set them all free? 
but he could not because it would violate the rules of engagement. It would be biasing the witnesses. And so God's powerful hand was stayed. Here's another one. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. So if you continue reading in Ezekiel, the land was destroyed. Remember, God is credited with, with that which he allows. So in essence, who really destroyed it? God does discipline. But in essence, the most powerful being in the universe looked for somebody to intercede for this land. And because there was nobody to intercede, he couldn't violate the covenant. And so he had to allow its destruction. How often has your name or my name come King so-and-so? Who's righteous and blameless blameless before but of course they worship you give them everything they it's not only job's name that has but our names as look what else satan's allowed to do therefore we wanted to come to you even i called but satan was and god can't stop every hindrance because then he's violating or he's violating the rules of engagement the enemy has dominion but here's the most powerful one of how the enemy hinders, but God can override with, and stay within the rules of engagement. Remember this story? Daniel prays. And for 21 days, they are behind the scenes. The lawyers go behind the jury and they duke it out for 21 days, presenting evidence, this and that and this. Finally, the celestial court says, Satan, you've been overruled for 21 days, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia, which is obviously the enemy, was withstanding me for 21 days. 21 days arguing this before the celestial court to make sure that everything stayed above board. We know it's not a battle of might because God can wipe them out in a second. And so whatever, we'll find out one day what were they duking out in the background. But finally, Michael comes and releases the king of Persia, Cyrus, to issue the decree to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. But 21 days, 21 days of whatever needed to be hashed out was hashed out. It's not power, it's not might, because God could do that in an instant. But to make sure that everything stays above board, it took 21 days, three whole weeks. I said, all of this, is taking place based we can re-engineer it or backwards engineer it the rules of engagement from the covenant stipulations that God has for humanity you know what reverse engineering is right when you can conclude what took place before it before what we have is present you can reverse engineer it you what's another word I'm looking for what? Extra. Thank you. Extrapolate what's happening in the rules of engagement in heaven. Thank you. By the rules of the covenant. And so now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord to observe carefully all his commands that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations and all these blood come upon you and covenant stipulations. You obey and I will lead you home. The moment you don't obey, guess who's there to say, hey, covenant violation. 
They have violated the covenant. They have to get the cursings. You think Satan is going to give God an inch as far as accusation? No. He's going to fight tooth and nail for every single individual who violates the covenant stipulations. But it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully his, all his commandments and his statutes which I command you that all these curses will come upon you. And so God is not a liar. God is the truth. God is righteous. He is just. He is faithful. He keeps his promises, both the good, right, the blessings and the cursings because he is full of integrity. And so he abides by the covenant. The enemy does it. He tries to violate it all the time. The rules of engagement. And this is where we find ourselves. I call heaven and earth to witness that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descending descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice and by holding. For this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land of fathers, that Abraham, the choice to trust Satan or God is in your court. The parameters have been set. In the trial I was in, they called witness after witness to the heavenly court. Some testified in favor of the plaintiff, some testified in favor of the defendant. You and I are doing the same thing. The pain and suffering we're going through in this world is not because God doesn't care, but he is allowing it to happen to make sure that when he finally puts an end to it, iniquity will never rise and every heart and every mind and every angel that stayed with him will know for certain that God's kingdom is above reproach. And he does not interfere in the lives of everybody like he does sometimes because there's a greater outcome of love. If he, prevent, if he interferes in everybody, it diminishes the possibility of genuine love coming freely from our hearts. Choice to trust. May you decide that when your name is called to the witness stand to testify, you're testifying that God can. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for what we I've learned throughout tonight. Making more sense, Father, why you can't always interfere. But we've seen enough verses to know that we will have the victory in the may we be part of it. And may we bring others to part. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org and you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you and have a great day.